Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone. I am here with Jeff Gelhar. Jeff is Vice President of Technology at Qualcomm and Zara Kuchek. Zara is a staff machine learning engineer with Qualcomm AI Research. Jeff and Zara, welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me back again. Hi, Sam. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to digging into this conversation. Jeff, welcome back. It's been about a year since we spoke last. Uh, we covered a lot of fun ground on that last conversation, both the core ML and AI you know, work that you are doing there at, at Qualcomm, but also some really interesting stuff on spiking neural nets. So uh, anyone who wants to learn more about that and your background, I encourage them to check out Twimble's Hawk number 280. But for those who may have missed that or for, for those who didn't, why don't you give us, Jeff, an update on your background and uh, what you've been up to over the past year? Okay, thank you. Perfect. So, um, Sam, thank you for having me again. Like I said, so, yeah, recap I run our uh, Qualcomm AI software program, basically, work with the Qualcomm AI research team and the hardware guys on the SOC side to help us bring all this AI innovation onto our mobile devices. And so, quick background I, I used to be in uh, Qualcomm AI research. And that's the whole spiking neural network thing. So refer your listeners and viewers back to that podcast. And um, came over to the commercial side about three years ago. So maintain strong connections. I hope you'll see the work that we're doing with Zara's team in a little bit. And just trying to, you know, drive our commercial roadmap. I got some updates for you guys, what we've done in the last uh, six, you know, six or eight months. Awesome. And Zara, how about you? Tell us a little bit about your background and the kind of work that you do there on the AI research team. Oh, thank you, Sam. So I'm part of a team that focused on model efficiency on the edge devices. Prior joining Qualcomm, uh, I was pursuing my PhD in electrical engineering in Stanford University. Um, I had privilege to work with Professor Andrew Ng, teaching fundamental of the deep learning and machine learning to thousands Stanford students. And uh, my research area was on natural language processing domain. Oh, nice. And what in particular in NLP did you focus on? I was focused on um, recommendation systems, how we can embed a sentence to have as much as information involved with the user history and the word embeddings. Nice, nice. So last time when we spoke, Jeff, we, we the conversation revolved around this idea of uh, AI is being the systems level challenge. And we, we talked about all the implications of that from a hardware perspective and with edge devices and, and training. And it sounds like you've been doing quite a bit to advance that. We've had a number of conversations on the show recently about some of the, the research activities, and we'll dig into that a little bit more. But in terms of bringing all that to, to market, what's new in your world? 
Yeah, perfect. Thank you. So um, we spoke again about a year ago this time, and um, in the traditionally in the winter we announce our new flagship product. So we did that. The Snapdragon eight sixty five uh, was announced in December of last year, and along with that, we announced a kind of a big expansion of uh, what we call our AI engine. It's a fifth generation engine. We're busy working f- towards our sixth generation engine, which will be announced, you know, later this year. Um, but really what we did with that, and you'll see kind of the extension of it when we get into the AI model efficiency toolkit, is expand our support, particularly in the mobile and Android ecosystem, but also to other edge devices, ways in which we can enable AI to run on the edge. So with regard to Android, we announced a big expansion of support for Android neural networks to version 1.2 with a big expansion in the number of supported operators, meaning that we're hardware accelerating a much bigger percentage of the neural networks than we did in the previous generation. We extended support for something we call Hexagon NN Direct, which is a way to access the hardware a lot more directly. So um, we're privileged to have Snapchat on stage showing Snapchat filters accelerated on Snapdragon in a way that's not possible to make them smooth and realistic um, without that hardware acceleration. And um, worked closely with Google, and, and I think this is a, a theme about both how Qualcomm Research is working across, you know, researchers and industries, as well as how we're partnering on the commercial side to bring Google ASR onto Hexagon with a three to five x improvement um, in performance and you know a thirty percent reduction in power. So we're seeing a lot of when I say systems, I really mean you know to recap that idea that. You cannot look at the hardware in isolation or the software in isolation or the bit widths in isolation, right? If you want a high efficiency solution, you really have to look under kind of every rock. And our, of course, our hardware guys are busy making our hardware better. Um, and then we come along with algorithms that Zara will cover and, you know, the software and bring it together. And that's true, of course, on our flagship mobile devices, but it's also true you know, like on a automobile, right? So we very strong portfolio of automobile solutions. It's true on uh, robotics. We introduced a robotics, a new robotics platform. It's getting a lot of uptake for like industrial IoT and robotics types applications. All of these platforms are going to use one or more of our AI stacks running on top of our hardware using, you know, algorithms that maybe Qualcomm AI Research is innovated on or an efficiency solution that we bring to our customers. So a lot of focus on, you know, integer performance, uh, low power, you know, shifting stuff um, onto low power hardware and software solutions so that your, you know, Galaxy device or your Xiaomi device has a fabulous camera or, a, you know, fabulous, you know, AI experience. And a lot of that you just take for granted. You don't realize HDR or some camera adjustment is being done with scene recognition behind the scenes, right? And to make that happen in real time or in a video is really exciting. Uh, so so you, you mentioned that a lot of the end user experience is kind of transparent to, it's just happening and the, the end user isn't aware of all the things that are happening behind the scenes. Is that largely the case from a developer experience as well? Um, the developers are using... Android APIs, for example, and those APIs are directly taking advantage of the hardware, or are they using APIs and toolkits that you're providing? Really both. So thank you for asking. So in the case of Android NN, Android Neural Networks, 
they can access it, let's say, from TF Lite. And so they can come at it in a pretty abstract kind of way. And we accelerate, you know, a large percentage of the operators there onto our hardware. And it's pretty transparent. And um, if you are somebody like Snapchat, or let's say in general, a third-party application provider, a lot of times you're really happy with your application architecture and you don't want to have to fit in with you know an in- industry standard API because you've kind of set your pace. And so that's, for example, where Hexagon and Indirect comes in. It's a much lower level API, but it's a you know, roll up your sleeve kind of API, which is great if you have a highly optimized you know, use case. And in the case of the Snapdragon Neural Processing SDK, we've offered a pretty high level API, not unlike, let's say, the TensorFlow Lite method of working now for you know five and six generations of products. So uh, we give our developers a lot of choice and it really depends. And what we find with our key OEMs is they really use an assortment of these approaches depending on exactly what the use case is, exactly where they want to run it, what kind of concurrency they have, you know, the camera running and audio example, right? So we give them a lot, we try to give them a lot of flexibility while offering the same basic kind of hardware acceleration under the covers. Okay. Okay. And I remember us last time talking about some consortia work you were doing around TinyML. Is that still an area of of activity? Yeah. So um, I was able to join the TinyML uh, Summit, which happened in, I think, early February, mid-February, co-chaired by Evgeny, who's another vice president at Qualcomm in conjunction with the folks at Google. And um, very exciting work there. We're talking about, you know, obviously much, much even smaller devices, always on, you know, microphones and cameras and that kind of stuff. Pretty exciting work going on there. And um, we've got some work coming up in like this, let's say the sensor direction that's maybe roughly aligned with that, that'll take advantage of some of our hardware. And so some of the work we do in audio and sensors kind of leans in the tiny ML direction. And so it was definitely that going on as well. I should also mention that we're at the, you know, mega ML as well, because we have server chips we're offering now, right? So really when you think- Cloud 100 line? The AIC 100 line. So we are looking at ways in which we can really provide kind of a, again, back to the systems view, a harmonized solution. If you want to run it like heavy edge, with or without 5G, offload devices, you know, this kind of stuff. A lot of blurring the lines across the whole ecosystem in a way that you can come to Qualcomm and you can get connectivity and AI and you can do it, you know, in the cloud or at the heavy edge or in the RAN or on the device or in the car and have a very kind of hopefully uniform experience as you move across these devices, but also the expertise of having an AI company and a hardware company and a AI research and, you know, communication all under one roof where we can really help our customers pull together the complete solution that way. Got it. Got it. And so in addition to the kind of commercial, you know, the hardware that you're offering to the the ecosystem, you're also pretty active in open source. And Zara, you've been working on uh, some of these projects. Can you tell us a little bit about the open source that you've been involved in? Oh, sure. So um, I'm proud to be part of the team that we are working on running machine learning models more efficient on edge devices, like um, preserving the battery life, running more fast, and also preserving the memory. I'm also proud that we uh, made a version of the AMIT 
AMS stands for AI Model Efficiency Toolkit Library. We made a, a version of the AMET open source and public. AMET does have advanced qual uh, quantization and compression techniques. And we made AMET um, open source um, and our vision was basically make it easy for everyone to run machine learning models on the edge devices. And we are hoping that software developers and machine learning engineers can contribute back uh, to the open source. So if you like, I can describe in details um, how AMET quantization and compression techniques works. Yeah, absolutely. Is you know, first, first off, before we get into how it works, is it how does it fit into again the kind of ecosystem and the developer experience? Some of the existing frameworks offer quantization. When would I use AMIT directly versus, you know, flip a bit in some other framework that I'm using and and tell it to quantize? So we announced the AI model efficiency toolkit at, at the Tech Summit in December, and it took us a little while to get all open sourced and everything. But the answer is, um, and Zara can tell you more about the architecture, we designed this as plugins to TensorFlow and PyTorch so that it fits. This goes back to the developer you know, workflow. Mm -hmm. It fits in with the workflow. They're not choosing a separate tool. They really think about it like they're Got choosing it. a separate you know, optimizer. Um, and so you, you know, we flip this bit. This is one of the things that's working in the back end to actually do it. That's right. That's right. Got it. Got it. And our vision is a portfolio of these kinds of techniques. So we started with you know quantization and compression, but we've got a long list of other ideas that we expect will help our developers stick to the you know workflow that they're accustomed to, but take advantage of these you know techniques and enhancements. Okay. Great. So how how does how does it work, Zara? <laughs> okay, great. So basically, AMIT does have two type of APIs. The first APIs is the compression APIs. For compression, we provide two services. The first service is a spatial SVD compression. A spatial SVD compression is a tensor decomposition techniques. For example, given a conv layer, we split the conv layer to two smaller conv layers based on the compression ratio that we want to get and then process it. Another compression technique is channel pruning. So we noticed that in some of the input layers, some of the channels are redundant or they do not convey enough information. So through channel pruning, we prune these channels and they make the whole model smaller. Mm -hmm. uh, from the quantization side, uh, we also do two main jobs. The first one is cross-layer equalization. So in cross-layer equalization, uh, we look at uh, different channels in a layer. It is very common, specifically for the mobile net family, that the amplitude range for each channel is different. So since we have this variation, this variation would cause problem in quantization. So we try to bring back all of the channels to the same range to avoid this quantization. And we also do bias correction. So we notice that using quantization, we see some shift in output of the layer. So using this bias correction, we try to correct this bias. Um, this method is called data-free quantization that is introduced by Qualcomm and Max Billing. I was just going to ask of the the techniques that you have described for compression and quantization, how much of 
the work that's gone into the toolkit is kind of cutting edge research versus uh, implementing relatively well understood techniques? So AIMED open source is pretty much implemented and we have great benchmarks and uh, it is working well for most of the machine learning models. You mentioned for compression that you start by telling it how much compression you're looking to achieve and then it kind of work back works backwards to figure out what uh, it needs to do in terms of the tensor decomposition. Can you, is that typical for a tool like this to start with the, the goal and have the tool figure out the... So, oh, great question. Thank you. So basically we have two modes for the AMIT. One of the modes is manual mode when uh, the input is coming from the user. The user said, hey, I'd like to compress the model for 50%. Then the AMET will go through each layer and through a greedy search. What is the optimal um, compression ratio while uh, preserving the accuracy as much as possible for each layer? So this compression ratio will be distributed among different layers of the model. Another mode is um, automatic mode, right? So Basically, for a target accuracy, we define what is the maximum compression that we can do on the model. Okay. And so that's AMET. And there are some other open source tools that you're, you've are you been working on. Yeah. So yeah, no, we can talk a little bit about TVM. So um, we got interested in, in TVM and, and there's some research work. That's and what also- is TVM? Yeah. So yeah. So this is a Tensor Virtual Machine. It's a compiler. It's an AI compiler framework. So you can think about it. Um, Comes out of University of Washington. It's now an Apache uh, incubator project. So it's moved under the Apache organization at a Dr. Luis Cizaz Research Lab, University of Washington. And you can think about it like a domain-specific language that lets you describe, in our case, we're looking at describing kernels that we want to compile for our targets, but also whole graph uh, compilation of networks. So we uh, we got interested in this because of factors like like these efficiency problems. I mean, quantization is one uh, method for achieving efficiency. Another method is um, you know looking at the a whole graph and trying to figure out how do I schedule this in a way that maximizes my parallelism on my hardware or maximizes the uh, pipelining in my hardware for certain kernel dimensions and so on. Right, and of course before we let's, yeah. let's maybe press pause and and dig into what exactly this is because when i hear your description i think of you know something like a kiris or pytorch is kind of like a domain specific language for describing graphs so how does how does something like that differ from what you're doing with tvm uh, okay good question so the way i think about it is that something like a pytorch or a tensorflow is really for the purpose of I'll say designing, if you're going to freehand design or auto ML, mm-hmm. design a neural network and train it in some way. Now, sure, the tools are capable of all other sorts of uh, techniques, right? It's a very powerful toolkits. But fundamentally, you get a trained model, compressed, quantized, whatever, out of one of these tools. Mm-hmm. Now, there's this, you know, back to the systems problem. How do I get this model to run efficiently on a piece of hardware, right? So mm-hmm. if it's like TensorFlow native, then there's a CUDA backend that somebody wrote by hand, or maybe they used a compiler, or maybe they use some other, you know, optimization technique. 
and they can run it you know, on the cloud. In the case of mobile, that's a bigger leap. So what we've traditionally done is mostly handwritten our kernels for our hardware, and we kind of write them you know, one by one, and we stitch them together with something like Android Neural Network or our SDK. And when you bring a model to Snapdragon, we then have to sort of assemble from a collection of these operators you know, a runnable graph. Right. And so you can think about that step is sort of a compilation step, sort of uh, just in time or ahead of time. We can do it both. But we're compiling, if you will, a network from, you know, a pre-assembled library of operations, right? Like a math library. Mm-hmm. Now, we're faced with two, two kind of dilemmas going back to sort of developer adoption and, and workflow. One is that it seems like there's an unbounded appetite for new operators, Okay. So we constantly get our customers saying, hey, can we have an operator that does this? And we made another operator that does that. So one of the things we announced with the 865 is the concept of user-defined operators. So being able for a developer to write their own operator and plug it into our framework. So one use of something like this and how it differs is it generates machine code. So you not only describe the operator, it actually generates the code to run on the accelerator. And if you consider whole graph, then you have the opportunity to generate code that takes advantage of the particular architecture of a network in a way that's aware of the optimizations that are possible on a particular target, right? So I can take advantage of what do I know about the cache sizes? What do I know about the vector units? What do I know about the amount of memory? What do I know about the cost of moving memory in and out of the SOC and so on? And that's the direction that we're going. So we we decided early that we wanted to do development work with TVM. And we have started to make our first open source contributions in order to bring to TVM a hexagon backend. So we will have native hexagon code generation in TVM as part of one of our other open source initiatives. And then Qualcomm AI Research is doing a bunch of research on the kind of optimization side of this. How do you schedule kernels? How do you optimize them? Um, how do you think about whole graph fusion and so on? Okay. So is TVM itself a, a Qualcomm project or is that a, an ecosystem project? Yeah, it's an ecosystem project. So in the same way that like Zara had to work closely with the TensorFlow folks, we work closely with the TVM community. And you know, obviously we make a small percentage of contribution given the whole but we do are we're working specifically on the hexagon code generation side of it. Mm-hmm. And so the the primary goal there is that the folks that are already using TVM or that adopt TVM will be able to target the hexagon capabilities easily through that. That That's problem. right. It's gotten quite a bit of industry attention across, and I won't name all the names. You can go to the website and see a lot of a lot of logos, but quite a bit of commercial and academic attention. Um, and it's not the only compiler framework out there. There's MLIR from Google. There's there's Glow that's principally for for data centers, and we're involved or aware of of those as well. But this one in particular, we've had the opportunity to do some open source work, and so we're excited about about that. And how it, you know, will fit together with some of this quantization work that we're doing eventually. I have not looked super deeply at, at, at this space. MLIR has come up on a few occasions, primarily in the context of TensorFlow for Swift. 
I don't know if it's specific to to Swift or just because the same person, Chris Lautner, works on yeah. both of those. But uh, I, I'd be interested in kind of getting your take on, you know, what's driving the interest in, you know, these types of tools now. Yeah, so I, I don't want to speculate, although I've talked to Chris a little bit about his original motivation on MLIR. I'll leave that to Chris. But um, uh-huh. I think that it's this, again, it's a systems issue. I think we're past sort of the 1.0 of, of machine learning. It's clear how to bring networks onto these kinds of devices. And now you see even tiny ML going, you know, farther down, you know, to smaller devices. Mm-hmm. At some level of efficiency, it, you know, it's clear. But if you want more specialized pieces of hardware, one of the challenges is generating code for these somewhat exotic pieces of hardware. That's kind of one thought. The other thought is, you know, MLIR, um, as I understand it, stands for multi-level IR. So what we're talking about, this maybe stitches your question about, TensorFlow and PyTorch together with, you know, TVM is you can think about the model as being a kind of IR. It's an intermediate representation that I can then either run directly in some sense or compile it further. And so one of the one of the wins I think of MLIR is to think about a toolkit for building IR translations. So you can think about TensorFlow as being an IR, but you can think about machine code as being, in some sense, a different IR. Mm-hmm. And so being able to build bridges from one IR to another is kind of what MLIR is really targeted at. And so we've got a little bit of work going on there to see how we can leverage this IR to IR translation technology as part of a future product. But it's still in the early investigative stages. Interesting, interesting. And so is, is this work that's happening in on the research side or is it more on the, the product, product development side? Well, that's a great segue at some point for us a conversation about how these fit together. But we have work on both sides looking at it. Um, our compiler team and, and, and my team in, on the AI software side as well as, and maybe, I don't know if Zara is directly involved in that, but there's some work going on, I think, in Qualcomm AI research as well. Okay, great, great. So we've covered a lot of ground thus far. I think we also wanted to talk about some of, you know, speaking of research, some of the things that you've been working on on the federated learning side. Zara. Oh, great. Thank you. As you know, federated learning is distributed, uh, distributing the training process between edge devices. So instead of training on um, center and asking the clients to upload the data to a centralized workstation, we distribute this training between the edge devices. So many of the concerns like user privacy would be removed because the data wouldn't leave the edge devices. So in um, Qualcomm, we've been um, working on three different problems with federated learning. The first problem was uh, basically, how do we use with inhomogeneous users? Meaning that when the distribution of the data is different with different users, how we um, modify federated learning? Answer to this question was submitted to NIPS 2020. Another question was... Uh, Before we move how, on, can, can you elaborate on the, the specific question and, and why it's important how and where it comes up? Oh, sure. So, so since training uh, process is done through edge devices with their local data, so what happens if the quality of the data is different from user to user? So what happens is one user have access to 
gigabyte of the data and another user have basically not that much. How we basically say the model resulting from the first user is better than the second one. So how we basically modify the model that we get from each of them. Another question is how we improve the user privacy. Um, the answer to this question was submitted to ICML 2020. We also uh, working on two different problems. Um, the first problem was how we reduce the number of the communication between the edge devices. Um, basically, to answer this question, we've been thinking how we make the model smaller using quantization and compression techniques that we already have, or um, how we design a, a machine learning models like a smaller so we don't need to share that many parameters. Another question that we are tackling as a last part in the federated learning is how we basically can reduce the memory requirement for federated learning. For instance, we found that um, if we basically compute more, there's less need for recording the memory. For instance, instead of storing the gradient in the backward pro propagation, we can calculate the gradient. So we're going to have 90% less memory requirement in expense of 30% more computation. Also, we can improve the computation time if we apply quantization on device and training on device. These three research problems related to the federated learning are active research problem in Morpheus Qualcomm AI. Mm -hmm. And you refer to Morpheus a couple of times. What's that? Oh, is that right. a secret code name project that you can't tell us any more about? <laughs> that goes back to the way back machine. So, um, yeah, so we we have uh, cute little uh, code names for all of our parts and all of our projects that we refer to internally. And so Morpheus is the code name for the Qualcomm AI research team uh, when Qualcomm wow. AI research is too much of a mouthful. And it's a little bit of a play on the matrix because sure. the, what came before Morpheus was Neo. That was the spiky neural network project we've talked about. So yeah. when ne when Neo went away, Morpheus showed up, and it, the name kind of stuck. You know, you got to let engineers have a little fun sometimes. And so, you know, one of the the topics that you know always interests me in, in conversations generally, and uh, in, in the conversations we've had previously, Jeff, is this idea of kind of how you know the relationship between R and D and product and productization of, of all the things that are happening. We've talked a little bit about, you know, through open source and, you know, the ecosystem, how some of this research is, is productized. Walk us through in a case of federated learning, like how you would envision seeing, you know, some of the these things that are, you know, freshly submitted papers making their way out into the hands of developers and OEMs. Sure, sure. That's a great example. So, you know, one thing I think is to make your uh, your audience aware of kind of the time constant of some of these things, right? I mean, I think that our new fancy phone comes out every nine months and everybody thinks, oh, well, they just baked that up. But, you know, the reality is these, these things are years in the making. So in the case of something, to give you a little perspective on this, some of these techniques Zara just talked about with regard to AMAT 
have been shipping in our toolkit since about the time you and I spoke last year, a year ago. And so these things kind of sneak their way into commercial products sometimes long before they get open sourced or, or in some scaled down version before, you know, they, they really get adopted widely. But in the case of something like federated learning as a great example, we, you know, there's these papers being done. So these are kind of fundamental issues that we're trying to tackle. How much data do we need to exchange? You know, how do we reduce the data? How much memory can we afford on the device and so on, right? What, what about these uneven data distributions and how does that affect the results? These are, you know, fundamental things. We're now in this sort of, uh, I'll say, evaluate, you know, on target evaluation stage. Uh, we've had some discussions with Qualcomm AI Research. Um, okay, so how could we like model this on a real device? Like, how could we scale this up, you know, try it out on a thousand devices? And going back, I'll hit this nail ahead, this nail again, the systems view, I think when we talked last time, you know, this is the thing where Qualcomm kind of does this thinking, deep thinking and comes with a, with a paper or um, some kind of presentation. We're now looking at, um, I was just talking to the team lead for this. We're now looking at ways we can basically build this up in a lab, like let's say around a thousand devices, right? Where we would then constrain those devices under an assortment of different scenarios, force them to have different data distributions, force them to have good or bad, you know, radio links right back to the server, you know, distribute the model in different ways, right? This will give us a sense for, you know, what the real world problems are like and how we solve them. And then we'll start that engagement about, okay, what would it really take to make this commercial? So therefore we got to have this, this, this kind of features in our toolkit or the compiler has to support doing certain things, you know, again, under power performance constrained situations. Do you only do this when the device is plugged in? Do you do this, you know, when the user says it's okay? You know, there's a lot of, you know, layers to it. And then that will then result in a set of use cases that we think, you know, are complementary to whatever we can do in a given generation of hardware. And in doing that, we will invariably go like, oh man, we really need to allocate more memory in the next device specifically for training. I mean, just to make something up, right? And that will inform, you know, what the next chip might look like or what the next software architecture. So that's the sort of way in which we'll go. We'll not, we're now ready to move into like full scale, you know, real world prototyping of some of these use cases. And we have some use cases in mind um, where you get benefits from, if you will, crowdsourcing different people's experiences or different people's data sets in order to make everybody's experience better overall. And then we got to try it and we got to see if our estimates on, you know, how much performance it takes and all that really holds up in the real world. Uh, are the use cases that you are interested in here primarily focused on, the mobile device, Zara mentioned, for example, she described each of the devices as a user and that user having different volumes of data. There's this whole different use case or set of use cases that fall under kind of this broad edge category that's more like enterprise IoT, where all of those devices are owned by a single user, but you still might want to do some of the same you know, things in terms of federated you know, learning and training, but other issues uh, are important. I'm, I'm curious, are, are those equally a, of interest to you? And if so, how do you kind of compare or contrast the, the various issues that come up? Yeah, I think when Zara said user, she she meant it in a loose sort of way, like device, let's say, right? Or, yeah. um, I, I think that, that once we get our handle around some of these fundamental issues, I do think that these will extend to more 
use cases where you have devices that have different experiences. So without, and I don't sort of making these use cases up perhaps, but cars that drive around in different parts of the city are going to have different experiences, right? Machines on different parts of a factory floor are going to have different experiences, quote unquote, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Devices uh, walking through a Wi-Fi or 5G environment are going to have different experiences moving from city to city. These are all cases in which the quality and the quantity and the kind of data that a dev- that a user, quote unquote, might have on a device or might experience or the device might be subject to are going to be different. And the question really is, is how do you collect all this together in an efficient way and solve problems where you don't literally want terabytes of data from every device. You want little snippets of particular pieces of data in order to make a better, you know, overall decision, right? Let's say. Got it. Got it. Uh, Zara, is there anything else we wanted to cover from a AI research perspective? Sure. Basically, I like to say uh, we had very constructive cooperation with other um, developer in the board. For instance, I want to mention one use case that I was working on. So Amit is working with uh, PyTorch and TensorFlow. So we wanted to generalize these frameworks to the Keras, one of the most popular frameworks. So going from Keras to TensorFlow was easy, but going from TensorFlow back to the Keras uh, wasn't easy. So no one before us has been looked through this problem. We've been working with the Google Tensor developers to this problem, and we found the solution. So basically, we could generalize AMET to TensorFlow. Again, this is on the research side. We haven't had the product yet, uh, but which made us able to basically give a Keras model back to the user and also do multi-GPU training um, on the resulted model. So this is an example of the constructive relationship that we had with the other software developer um, in the industry. Got it. Got it. And Jeff, how about on the kind of commercial ecosystem side? Well, you know, I can't share too many dark secrets. You know, you have to wait till December when we have our new chip. But um, suffice to say a, a couple of things. Um, we continue to have these kind of partnerships, like Zara just mentioned. On the commercial side, we work closely with Google on, like I mentioned, their ASR solution. I've mentioned, you know, Android and N. You know, we've had some meetings, um, certainly around things like MLIR and so on. So these other big ecosystem partners are really important to shape the direction of AI all around, whether it's quantization or it's, you know, PyTorch or TensorFlow. And we continue to, you know, reach out and work with a broad range of other partners. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to see, for example, the um, Microsoft Surface X, the the Snapdragon powered device. They just um, in the process of launching an update to that, which involves AI. Uh, powered on on Hexagon, it will hopefully solve this gaze correction problem that we all suffer, where we look at our our computer instead of at the camera, yeah. and we don't feel like we're looking at each other. So mm-hmm. that's the first feature. But we've got a, a lineup of features we're working on with Microsoft and the Snapdragon, uh, you know, Windows on Snapdragon ecosystem is a good example. Okay. What you I think see us doing here is forming a base around our hardware and our software and our algorithms and tooling. And then using that base to, you know, get out to the rest of the broader ecosystem, uh, whether it's IoT and we have thousands of IoT customers or our traditional OEM customers are now server or automotive. 
we're trying to build a you know a robust base where where developers have choice you know what level of the stack do they want to come into what kinds of optimization techniques do they need help with um, we're doing fundamental work in the networks themselves so that's going to help the industry overall but of course we can't do it ourselves we work with Google, Facebook, research partners, and so on. What I can tease a little bit is with that background is we're going to continue to you know push ahead. We're going to be uh, continue to open source things like TVM, and so people will be able to see how you you know compile neural networks for Snapdragon. That'll take a little bit of the curtain back on on that. We are busy working on our sixth generation AI engine to be announced at the appropriate time. There's a lot of work and innovation going on there. And like on this federated learning, but a little closer in, there are a number of techniques in in AI model efficiency toolkit that are well under development that you can expect to see. Some of them will probably come out first with our commercial partners and let them try it out. And then over some period of time, um, you know, open source some or all of those techniques for sort of general consumption. So a, a deep pipeline of cool new stuff coming um you'll have to have us back for a third time to get the update at some point but you know look for it in the in the press the news the research uh papers will come out on archive and other forums and uh, keep your eye out you know let's say roughly year end for the the details on ai engine version six awesome awesome well, Zara, thanks so much for the update from the research perspective and Jeff from the commercial and ecosystem perspective. Always great to catch up. Thank you both for joining us. Well, thank you, Sam. It's always fun. Thank you, Sam. It was great. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.